let's make sure that we truly immerse ourselves in the awe of God as we study His Word. Have you ever been in a situation where you wanted to speak up because you believed that what you knew and could communicate would make a difference in a very positive way? You know, I, I found myself in one of those situations one time, and, and it's really a long story, and so I'll just kind of cut right to the chase. I was called to, to serve on a jury, and at first I thought that was a burden, and, and I wanted to believe that I didn't have time for it. And then as I actually sat through that trial and then went back for us to discuss and deliberate, at my, my feeling the whole time was, you know, I'm not going to say much. I'm just going to kind of set back in the, the backdrop here. And when it's time to vote, I'm going to cast my vote because this is a pretty easy case. It's obvious because all the evidence proved that this gentleman dealt drugs. There, there's eyewitnesses. There's police officers that were eyewitnesses. There were tape recordings of it. Everything was stacked against him. And so as, as we deliberated around the room, there were about four that immediately said, I think he's innocent. And everybody... And I'm like, what? Where did this come from? And those four began speaking up. Everybody else assumed it was an obvious case that he was guilty, and so they didn't speak up. And so as the four continued to speak, you know what happened? We voted again. And then there was like six that thought, he's innocent. And then those six kept speaking. And then there were like eight that said, he's innocent. And finally, I found myself kind of tucked back in this corner thinking, this guy sold drugs within eyesight of my house. I'm not going to sit back in this corner and let him walk so that he can do the same thing. And I found myself all of a sudden wanting to go from the silent guy to running through my mind is, I've got a message for you guys. I have something I want to say. And so I inched my chair back kind of to the middle of the, the circle there. And I said, guys... We've got to look at the evidence here. And so I just began to review the evidence, not even in preacher style. I had a lot more than three points. And, and I began to review the evidence. And, and I went all the way through the, 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 the trial. And then I said, can we have a vote now? And it went back down to four again. And so I talked some more. And it went down to two. I talked some more and it went down to one. And finally, the last guy said, well, I'm not gonna hang the jury. He's guilty. Do you realize how powerful truth communicated can be? Let that sink in. Do you believe it? How powerful is truth when it's not communicated? Now imagine yourself, and I don't mean this in any disrespect, so let me rephrase that. Imagine a setting where you're here and God has been pushed off to the side and God has been told by your actions keep your mouth shut I don't want to hear what you have to say can you imagine how painful that must be for God to know that he has words that could help us that he has words of truth that could deliver us he has words of mercy and grace that could relieve us of burdens. But the whole time we're saying, God, don't speak. 
Do not open your mouth. I want this year in my life to be a year that I say to God, what's your message for me? I need to know truth. And I need to know it more clearly than I've ever seen it. I need to know the story of redemption. I need it as much as anybody that has ever lived. I need to know what your will is for me as I deal with enemies or best friends or family members. Lord, I need to know what is your message as it pertains to the church and to the doctrines that are related to that one church that your son died in order not only to save but to establish. Are you allowing God to speak? When we urge each other to be involved in a daily Bible study, it's not so that we can simply have good habits so that, that we can say, check that off the list. I did it. Not only did I do it, I did it every day. Wow, pat on the back. It's something so much deeper than that. It's about a relationship with God where we literally read God's Word so that we can know Him better. So that we can know His will with even greater power in our lives. And so tonight I invite you to Proverbs, the sixth chapter, to, to study what a very wise man, the wisest man of his day, and the wisest that had ever lived at that point, has written. And he says in Proverbs, the sixth chapter in verse 20, he says, my son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Now, when Solomon writes this, he's writing this under the assumption that whatever the father's command would be, would be the same as the heavenly father's command. And whatever the mother's law would be, would be the same as the heavenly father's law. Now, I know that not all of us were able to participate in that kind of household. But that is the household he's writing about at this moment. He's writing to his son. And in other words, he's saying, son, I have taught you the way God teaches. Your mother has given you law that is the law that God has given. And so when you obey and do not forsake what we have taught you, you are obeying or keeping and not forsaking the teachings of the Almighty God. That's the kind of household everybody here that has influence in their house. We're talking to every mother and every father. That ought to be our goal that everything we ask of our kids would be in agreement with God's will. How sad it would be if one of our children could disobey God, but not disobey us. What is our standard? Are we setting the bar where God sets the bar? And then the challenge for every youth here is to make sure that they realize the importance of obeying godly parents because it's really a double obedience because actually it's obeying the Almighty God in heaven. But for those of us that have already left our homes, it is the teaching here, are we going to keep the commands of God? Are we going to, to, to uh, 
obey the laws that God gives us. Well, what's the importance that Solomon would place on this? Read the very next verse. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. What do you tie around your neck? Ladies, the, the ugliest scarf that you've ever seen, you know the one at Dirty Christmas that nobody wants to get stuck with? When you get stuck with that horrible, horrific scarf, you're sitting there thinking, I can't wait to put this around my neck. No. No, we put things around our neck that we want people to see. Because when people come and they speak to us, it's face to face, and they're going to see what is around our neck. What is around our neck is also the idea of it stays with us. We're not going to go anywhere without our neck. And so it's the idea of what are you ashamed of? If you're ashamed of it, you're not putting it around your neck. Everybody's going to see it. And if it's something that you don't want to be associated with, you're not going to put it around your neck because if you do, you're going to be associated with it. Do you see what he's saying? He's, he's telling his son, the commands I give you, the law that your mother has given you, put them around your neck. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel that comes from God. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel from God. Put it around your neck. Wear it with confidence that you are showing others the greatest gift that's ever been given to you. And that's all of the knowledge that you have of God Almighty. But notice he says, bind it continually upon your heart. Now we all understand the concept of, of binding something together. We know what binders are, where papers have been linked together. They're binded. And, and notice, this is bound not in an insignificant place. This is bound around the most vital organ that we have, our heart. And it's not just bound there occasionally. He says bind it continually. The Word of God that's around our neck, that's bound in our heart, is not truly being kept. It's not being obeyed. It's not being guarded. If in our mind it's something we pick up and we lay down occasionally, it's to be bound. It's to be a part of our heart, our deepest desires, our true commitment, our conviction. Those, those areas of life where we say, I will not alter in these things. Well, if my idea is I will not alter in these things most of the time, it's not bound upon our heart. And so here we see the plea that he's making to his son. And we see in these introductory remarks a powerful, persuasive speech that he gives to his son in this proverb about how carefully he wants him to keep the law, the commands of God. And then notice the guidance that it gives as we use the expression 24-7. Look at that very next verse. Notice as he says, when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. That verse is really why we're studying this tonight. Those are three amazing phrases about the Word of God. When you roam, well, what does he mean by that? Well, all of us go about our day. And you know, like if you look at a map and you see lines, 
where someone has traveled. You know, you look in the back of your Bible and you see Paul's missionary journeys and you see that dotted line. Imagine if we kind of expanded a map here of, of Wilson and maybe Davidson County and a few counties around. And imagine if you, over the next few days, there was just a dotted line behind everywhere you went where you went to work or where you went to shop or where you went to work out or where you went to a friend's house or, or whatever it might be. Imagine that dotted line. Now here's the question. When you roam, will you allow, as he's teaching here, the word of God to lead you? Literally, when you're driving down the road, will you drive and interact with traffic the way God teaches us with patience? When, when you go to work, and you interact with people at work or at school as, as was so capably the point was made this morning. Would, would people know that the word of God is leading you or would they be surprised if someone said that you had that kind of reputation? And, and even when you're dealing with friends and when that little dot takes you back to your home and you interact with your family, can we honestly say that as we study the word of God, the Word of God is what leads us as we roam throughout our house, our communities, our schools, our work. But we can't roam all the time, can we? There has to come a time that we lay down to sleep. Now isn't it interesting that he covers that in that second phrase when he says, when you sleep, they will keep you. The idea of keep is also to guard when you lay down at night, do you like to know that you're safe? Do you rest better with a clean and a clear conscience? How do we rest better? It's the Word of God that keeps us. If you will, I don't think we have a slide for this, but turn over very quickly, just a few pages in your Bible to Ecclesiastes. It's just one book over from Proverbs. Go just one book over from Proverbs. Look at Ecclesiastes 5. This, this is a, a point here that we could spend a lot of time developing and I don't want to take the time in this lesson to it, but I just want you to see that what we're talking about here in Proverbs 5 is, of course, a biblical point that's throughout the Bible and it's how whenever God's word is directing our life, we literally rest better. And he's talked about in Ecclesiastes 5, 10 and 11 about how when an individual allows money and greed to dominate their life, they never find satisfaction. And then we come to verse 12 and we see how that literally bleeds over into our night's rest. And he says, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Now, if you read this in the context, he's not talking about everybody that's rich. If you read this in context, he's talking about those who are rich that are driven by their riches. And so here God literally says, my law cannot help you have a better night's sleep when you won't keep my law. When instead of allowing uh, generosity and service to God and mankind to be what dominates your life, instead, whenever you want greed to dominate your life, you're not going to have the sweet rest that a laboring man that says, I work for the Lord. Whatever money I make in my 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, I make it so that God can be glorified. That person can have a good night's rest. And you can read the rest of this chapter and that's what it's about. But we don't always sleep. And so that brings us to this next phrase here, still in 22 of Proverbs, the sixth chapter. 
And notice that last phrase, and when you awake, they will speak with you. That phrase is literally the reason we chose this verse tonight to study. I don't know if I've ever noticed before the way that literally is phrased there. When you awake, they. What's the they? All through the passage, the they has been the Word of God. The Word of God's being personified. They will speak with you. That's amazing, isn't it? The Word of God's like a companion. Now, I think back to when I first got married. And I got a lot of pleasant thoughts through that, okay? And I think back to when I first got married. You know, I didn't grow up with a brother. So pretty much most of my years growing up, I had my own bedroom. And then when I went to college and had roommates, contrary to the girls that they talk all the time as roommates, you know, guy roommates don't sit around and talk all the time. And so my first experience with a talkative roommate that like you really interact and share your, your heart with and you know, all that kind of stuff, that was back when I got married. And you know, I remember thinking, this is pretty neat. I mean, you just kind of lay in bed at night and you talk about your day. You wake up in the morning and, hey, let me tell you about this crazy dream I had last night. Or, hey, th today's that big day. Oh, I'm dreading this. And, and, and if it's something big, you, you've got that companion there to celebrate with. And if it's something difficult, you've got that companion there to encourage you. God says, I want my word to be your companion. And when you wake up, I want you to allow my word to speak to you. You need direction about how to roam. You need to know how to live this day so that you can rest well tonight. I wouldn't dare ask us to raise our hands because we know it would be every one of us. Every one of us has had something that we've done during a day, sometime in our life, and for some of us, way too many times, where we didn't sleep at all or we didn't sleep very well because we had regrets of what we've done that day. And here we have, we have the Lord telling us, I want my word to be your companion. It can talk to you. My word can tell you how you can roam about the day. My word can tell you how you can rest with a clear conscience at night. When you get up, listen to me as I talk to you. Do we really see and understand the blessing that we have in God's word? You see, what we see here is that the word of God is living. The word of God is not a dead book. It's not like any other book that's on this earth. Probably all of us have either been to or we have at least heard of library sales where maybe once a year all the books that are no longer considered relevant to the activity of a particular library is put out on tables and, and those, those books are sold usually for 50 cents a piece or a dollar a piece. And there may be books that cost 25, 35, 45, 55, 65 dollars but for whatever reason, they're not considered relevant anymore. Do you realize that the Word of God, some of it, the, the, the latest writings, almost 2,000 years old, 1,900 years old. And do you realize that it's alive? 
And that's why it is just as relevant today as it was for the first century people. That's why we don't have spiritual library sales. And I, it's going to sound like I'm trying to be cute. I'm not. Can you imagine us having to say, okay, Ephesians is for sale tonight. It's, it's no longer relevant. It, it, we, we've outlived the book of Ephesians. We're going to sell it for 50 cents tonight. Wow, the Bible's really getting smaller. I, I don't know what we're going to do. The Bible's living. It's alive for every generation. But also we see in Hebrews, the fourth chapter in verse 12, where he says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a lot of other good teachings around that particular phrase there, but think about that. It's living and it's powerful. It's sharper than a weapon or than a scaffold that can cut and do well. It can defend. It can heal. It's a tremendous book. But not only is it a living word, it's also a personal word. Notice, he says here in Proverbs 6 and 22, and when you awake, they will speak with you. Right now, I'm preaching to an audience. In a sense, in a very real sense, I'm not preaching to an individual. To me, one of the greatest compliments is when people say words like this. It was said today at lunch, and it's said on a regular basis. And it lets me know that as long as I'm hearing this, I'm preaching the Word of God. Someone will say, you must be peeking in my window. It feels like you're preaching right to me. How do you know so much about my life that what I need to hear? Friends, do you realize that out of the the hundreds of lessons and sermons I preach a year and teach, it is rare for any particular individual to be on my mind when I write those lessons. But what I do want to do is always go back and make sure that I present a message from God because God's Word is personal. It always strikes to the individual. God's message isn't for a vast audience that maybe in some strike of luck might occasionally have something for me. Brethren, there's something on every page and every line of every word that is for you. It's personal. But third, it's responsive. God did not give us His message for us to do nothing. He expects this word to transform us, to make us more like Him, to be holy as He is holy, to renew our mind, to become more like Christ. But then finally notice the word is influential. In Mark the 15th chapter, in the 16th chapter in verse 15, when He said go into all the world, you remember what He said for us to go and do? It wasn't go and play sports. It wasn't even go into all the world and feed them physically. So go into all the world and preach the gospel. There is a message from God that every soul needs to hear. And Horeb 
once upon a time. There was a bush that would have been like any other bush except something changed. The presence of God came to it. And the voice of God gave a message. And because God's word was there, Moses was told to take off his shoes. He was on holy ground. We have a book that if it were just binding and paper and ink, it would be like any other book. But there is a reason, because this book is inspired of God. It's the Word of God, and that's why we call it the Holy Bible. And you and I, individually, we each decide, am I going to tell God to keep it zipped? Or am I going to tell God, I want to hear a message from you. I need to know how to roam today. I need to know how to sleep tonight. And I need to know who to listen to when I wake up in the morning. It's this word that saves us. We extend the invitation by reading 1 Peter, the first chapter. 1 Peter, the first chapter. I'd like to read 22 and 23. There's even more great stuff in this short paragraph about the Word of God, but let's extend the invitation with 22 and 23. And let's all be individuals that say to God this year on a daily basis, God, I want a message from you. I want to hear from you. Why is it so important? 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23 is page 1076. The Bible is in your pew, 1076. Since you have purified your souls... How? In obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And the question is, do I allow the Word of God to help me live. It was the truth that saves us. It's the truth that purifies our soul. I decide if it's going to live and abide and cause me to live and abide with the Lord. Or I decide to close this living word and not live and not abide with God. Our goal is to take a step closer to God. In 2011, a step closer to God. And there's nobody that can truly do that unless it's by the Word of God, individually, personally, learning and living the Word of God. Tonight, if we can help you take a step closer in restoring your soul, being saved, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, why not tonight? Tremendous step that would be toward God. If you're a believer, ready to repent and confess before men. Maybe you've made that journey in your life, but you've stopped it. And you've allowed sin to separate you from God. Is there hope?
Absolutely. It's the Word of God that says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's His Word. That's His Word that saves. That's His Word that's truth. That's what He says if we'll just listen. Surely there's not a person here that doesn't want 2011 to be better than 2010. But it has to be with Him. There's no real success in life or in eternity without Him. You may have been thinking, all of 2010, I need to respond. I need a fresh start. And every invitation, you talked yourself out of it. Will you make a commitment right now that you're not talking yourself out of it this time? This is your new year. This is your opportunity for a fresh start. This is your opportunity to leave listening to the living Word of God. Let's let tonight be the night of no excuses. Let's let tonight be the night that the heavens rejoice and our Father in heaven smiles and says it's right for us to rejoice. None of us here are perfect but all of us can leave here redeemed. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.